Revivify, design and building pros podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Revivify podcast. I'm your host, Grace Mace. Today, I'm here with Jeff Eccles, Director of Brand Strategy of Entre Architects and President and Chief Strategy Officer of Echo Engagement. He helps A, E, and C, which is architect, engineers, and contractors, innovate their way to practices driven by purpose and improve their business by optimizing their branding and positioning. I'm so excited to speak with Jeff today here on the Revivify podcast. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Grace. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Well, you're a fascinating person. So please share with us your journey, how you guys started and where you are now. <laughs> okay. How far back do you want me to go? My, my background is, is in architecture. I grew up um, in the South around a lot of agrarian architecture, fascinated by barns and, you know, old county seats and things like that. My dad was transferred to Chicago when I was a kid. And so I spent a lot of time when my mom was stay at home with the three of us, the kids. She is a lifelong learner and an explorer. And she took us to see all of the Frank Lloyd Wright projects around Chicago. So those things were a big influence to me, which drove me essentially to architecture school. So I studied architecture, have a couple of degrees in design, went into the profession, spent 23, 25 years, something like that in firms, small and large. And I like to say that one of the best things that happened to me, and this is at no fault of my own, I have to, I have to thank others for this, was that one day someone came up and tapped me on the shoulder. I was, I was just a f- maybe a few months, maybe a year or so out of school. Someone came up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you're, you're pretty good at these graphics. Why don't you go help the marketing team with this deadline that they're, they're working on. You're, you're pretty good with that, with writing those things. Why don't you go help the business development team with this thing they're working on for Friday? And at the time I thought, okay, well, that's, that's interesting. What I didn't realize is they were opening the door. Like I said, just a few months or a year or so out of school, they were opening the door and showing me that there's this thing called the business of architecture, which really eventually started to define my career, my career path. And so that, again, looking back, that's, I guess, where it started. Worked just like a lot of uh, young architecture grads do, CAD, eventually BIM, project management, things like that. But the longer I got into my career, the more I followed that tangent, right, to the, to the business side of architecture. And that's, that's really my focus now for, for all AEC, but really the, the business of AEC, if you want to say it that way. That's amazing. I think we all, I mean, for many of us who went through the training, architecture school or engineering or construction, we learn the traits. We love the crafts, but we're never taught in terms of operation, business development, management, and so what you're offering is so desperate needed in our industry. And it's one of the reasons that uh, I was offered the opportunity last semester. So the fall semester of, of the 2021 20, school year, I guess it would be, to teach pro practice. And 
I jumped at that opportunity for exactly the reason that you're talking about. And, you know, I, I jumped at it with a caveat because when I was approached about it, they gave me the syllabus from the professor that had been teaching it, right. Um, that was not going to be returning. And I looked at the syllabus and I went, my gosh, this is, this is probably the same exact same. Some of the speakers, in fact, were the same speakers. I graduated a long time ago, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at this and what you're saying is absolutely correct. I, of, of all the things that I learned in pro practice class, however many semesters we have of that when we're in school, probably at least two, if not more, of all of the things that I learned in pro practice, I probably remember almost none of them. And a lot of that is because some of the things that are thrust into pro practice are not timely, right? And I'm not, I'm not knocking a lot of the things that are taught, but there's no way that a student that's, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, that's going to study this little piece of pro practice that's been taught that way for the last 50 or 60 years. By the time they encounter that in their career, they're going to have no recollection and it will have changed. And the bottom line is they're not actually learning anything about the business of architecture. They're, yes, they're learning about ethics and liability and important things like that, but they're not, they're, there's such a lack of business education and, and it's not just architecture. I mean, it's easy for us to talk about that because you and I both went to architecture school, but, but the same is true for engineers and attorneys and doctors and, and others in, in professional services. But when we look at, we look at where we are right now, again, and it doesn't matter if you're an architect or a contractor, the majority of firms out there all across AEC are small firms. There's the Ginslers are out there and the Hunts are out there, the AECOM Hunts are out there, and those are not the majority. And so there's a huge need for students to come out with some some knowledge, some business knowledge, and whether or not they ever start their own thing, partner with anybody to, to run a small firm or their own firm or whatever, even if they don't do that, they'll be better employees because they'll have an understanding of why someone made this decision or why we're tracking these things so closely or why we're, we're doing these things. So I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed that opportunity and you know, I'll probably continue to rock the boat and uh, push that that agenda forward a little bit. I love everything you said. And then we're, the one specifically referenced a lot is why. Oftentimes, we're just focused on what is it that we get to do and how we're going to do it without and fully understand the basic of why. If we understand the why, then we understand the purpose. Then it's easier to navigate through the rest of the journey of what is that we want to do, who we can bring along. And what is it or how to actually implement this? And that's a critical piece. And if you don't have that figured out or understand that basics, then it can be challenging. And I really appreciate how I want to be in your class now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might want to ask my students about that before you make that decision. <laughs> but it truly is how you look at more holistically and stepping back from the practice and looking almost outside in of how does it that one could do better. And when you talk about, you know, help people to focus on the purpose, purpose is the why. If you understand the purpose and you understand your why, everyone on the team, doesn't matter, right? You're a 
owner, founder to the next person line, everyone are focused on one thing is here's our journey and here's our destination. Here's our North Star. How do we right, get, right. get there? And who will be the right folks to be on the team to help us achieve that vision? I really appreciate that. There's something really fundamental about that. As you know, I've got a couple of podcasts and, and one of them is the Build Your Brand podcast. When we launched that, uh, we're getting ready to roll out season two now, but the idea behind that podcast is to take a big brand, one that's, that's so removed from AEC that an architecture or an architect or an engineer or, or whoever would have trouble drawing parallels. And that's, that's the whole point is I don't want you to be able to look at this company, at this brand and say, oh yeah, but it's, but this, or it's a little bit different. I want you to look at that and go, whoa, okay, that's different. And then take that brand and break it down piece by piece, how they built it, the history of it, the brand story, how they market it, all of those things, how they make their decisions and look for the lessons. Then, you know, we've dissected it now. What can we now learn from that, that we can bring back and apply? And the thing that comes out of that, we take one brand every season. Season one was Southwest Airlines. And you look at that and you go, oh my gosh, what's that got to do with construction? But when we look at these brands, when we look at the best known, best loved brands in the world, they're almost always, maybe, you know, I, I don't like to be so definitive, but maybe they all are purpose-driven brands. And the thing that we have to understand, the thing that we have to realize about purpose and you said it right. You know, a lot of a lot of people that will listen to this will say, "Well, yeah, we we have a mission statement, we have a vision statement. Purpose is different. The mission and vision are usually written, usually written by committee, but they're usually written about us. This is our mission. This is our vision. We may touch on the client, et cetera. Purpose is not like that. If you look at the purpose of Southwest Airlines or, you know, pick your, pick your favorite brand, their purpose statement is about their customer or it's about their client. And that's important to understand. And it's also, you know, just from a, a very basic point of view, you know, if you're a contractor or you're an engineer or you're an attorney, I don't care, whatever, whatever, if you're in a business of some sort, you are here to serve your customer or your client. You know, there, there's no woo-woo to that. Some people think, oh, well, that, that's, you know, servant leader. No, there's no woo-woo to that because if you are not serving your customer or, or your client, what happens next? You're not in business, right? I have these conversations sometimes and people talk about their repeat clients and relationships, their best clients they've been working with, this client for 15 or 20 years or whatever. And if you want to test this idea, if you think I'm wrong about that, then here's what you need to do. You need to go and find your best client, right? Someone that you have been doing this type of work for that client for 15 or 20 years. Go to that client and stop serving them. Stop solving their problems and see how quickly they stop writing you checks. Yes, they enjoy the relationship. Yes, they invited you to their, their daughter's graduation or whatever. But the minute that you stop solving their problems, the minute that you stop 
serving them, they stop paying you. You are no longer in business, right? So we have to have the purpose of making their lives better, whatever that means in their context. And I think that's the, the real basic truth to all of this. That's brilliant. Just to let it sink in, that, that's actually brilliant because that's what we do. The reason why we're into the profession is not because we wanted to, well, I think most of us went into profession, not because we think our design is going to be a reflection of who we are is how do we design something that will serve people and really deliver something that will transform their life. That's all there is to it and delight them in some ways and some ways it forms just so we can experience that. And for them, more importantly, to experience that. And that journey together is what makes our profession so profound, so interesting. That sounds like is your brand approach to brand development. It's no longer this, all right, we have this logo. We're going to think of committee design of our mission, vision, and our core values, but really begin to go deeper of what is it, why we do what we do. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. There's a lot of misconception in the branding world. And some of it is understandable. It's it's a lot easier to sell logo design than to sell an idea, right? There's something there's something tangible, but but if you if you listen to somebody like Jeff Bezos, Amazon, or even this is a much less known name, but Marty Marty Newmeyer is the godfather of modern branding. I mean, if if you want to learn anything about branding, you go and you take Marty's masterclass or you read one of his books or, you know, whatever. And Bezos and Marty say almost exactly the same thing. And so I don't know if, if Bezos heard it and took it or whatever, but they both say that your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. And that's what a brand is. And I love, I love the way it's phrased because when we think about your logo or your business card or the the wrap on your truck or your title block, job site signs, whatever it is, those are brand artifacts, right? They are a part of your brand, certainly. They come from your brand, certainly. Another way to think about it is that they're, they're triggers. So if you have a longtime client or maybe even it's just somebody that's heard of you, oh, I, that's, a, that's a familiar name, something like that. Those things, that logo, the business card, whatever, it's a trigger. So when someone sees that, oh, that's right. They were the ones that did this, or I heard this about them or something like that. Those are all triggers that are going to bring those stories back. What other people are saying about you when you're not in the room. So when we're quote unquote building brands, we do have to make it about if we want them to resonate we do have to make them about our ideal clients that's not to say that our ideal clients make us but we have to understand what they value right and that's a that's a big question but we have to understand what our ideal clients value and build a brand around that right if you don't want to be commoditized you want to be delivering value you want to be known as Wow, that these people deliver results that we really, really value. That's when you're not commoditized anymore, right? So if we build brands around that, that's the best first step forward. Then then we logos, websites, all those things align 
align along that uh, along that line. I love what you just said because oftentimes I think we listen to our clients. They complain about well, my whatever homeowner investors they nickel dime this. I was like, so you present your service as transactional as mm-hmm. commodity versus exactly. what is the value you bring that they cannot go anywhere else. Right, and I think that's where you hit the nail in the head of truly show them the value of why you do what you do. And when they believe what, why you do what you do, they're in it with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And it's also important for us to remember that what they value is not actually what you do. That sounds really counterintuitive, but you think about this idea of someone hiring an architect or a contractor or an attorney or a doctor, right? No, nobody wants to hire an attorney, but what they want is a contract that's negotiated in their favor, right? So what they value is a really well-written contract that helps them negotiate in their favor. No one wants to go to the doctor, but they want to feel better. So what they value is that feeling that comes after when the cold is taken care of or whatever the, the problem was. No one wants to hire a contractor. No one wants to hire an architect. What they want is that place that the entire family, the entire extended family can gather on that one beach that's so special to the family because they all grew up watching the sunsets there, whatever that is. Yes, they tell you what they value is on time and and on budget. Of course they say that. Everybody says that. But what is it that they actually, what's the result that they actually want, need, down to a primal emotional level, that that's where value lies. How do we find that? How do we touch on that? And how do we build a brand around that? That's awesome. Yeah. I often think about even for us coaching homeowners is just getting to their why, Mm -hmm. right? What you describe is to understand your client's why and make sure your own company brand why is aligned with your client's why. Yeah. It's not just so much, I want to two bedroom edition. It's more of what does it feel when you're standing on that beach with your whole entire family and you know, watching a sunset together and holding hands and just have that moment that's so unique that you can't describe in words, the feeling that's a how and what comes after that. That's yeah. brilliant. On your LinkedIn, you have the relevance is greater than difference, which is sales together is less than empathy. I'd love to get your perspective on that. Yeah, there's a lot of people in our world, and especially in the marketing and branding space, business development space, in this pursuit of differentiation, right? They'll talk about being different, differentiating our firm from the other firm. And that's all great, right? (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, number one, it's incredibly difficult to differentiate, to legitimately, authentically differentiate yourself from another architecture firm, another construction firm, another whatever it is that you do. And the fact of the matter is, here's just an extreme example that I love to, to use because I, I will often help firms that get into the shortlist interview, the responded RFPs or RFQs and the and so I'll, I'll help with presentation design and coaching and things like that sometimes. And so the extreme example is you made the short list, right? So now you're one of five, let's just say, 
if your team, if your entire team walks into the interview room dressed in a bright yellow tuxedo with tails and top hat, you will certainly be absolutely be different than any other team that walks into that interview room that day, right? Unless you got a lot of weirdos going, you're, you're going to be the only team in the, in the yellow tux and, and top hat. But the question is, so what? Does that matter? Yes, you will, you will be memorable, right? You'll be memorable, but no one is making a decision based on those yellow tuxedos. They might, maybe they will on the negative side, but they are not going to make the decision because you were so different because you wore this, this, your whole team wore this yellow tuxedo, right? So what really matters and what actually helps you differentiate yourself from others is how relevant you are to that selection committee, right? If we're, if we stick with that example, you walk in and you are so in tune with this potential client, with the selection committee, that everything you talk about, every question that you ask them, by the way, are you walking into the interview room asking questions or just talking about how good you are and talking about your qualifications? But if you are more relevant, your messaging, things you talk about, the questions you ask, if those are more relevant than anybody else, all of a sudden you have differentiated yourself because you feel like the right fit. That's the key to everything. Feel like the right fit. And the only way to get to that level of relevance is to have more empathy and more understanding for that client, you know, whatever your context is than anybody else. So I believe that the truth going forward is that the people, the firms that understand their clients better than anybody else, they win. Right. So developing that empathy is of utmost importance. So relevance is greater than difference, but empathy trumps it all. That's brilliant. And I think about our training and architecture program, we always get this assignment, you design it, you get in front of your critics, your classmates, you talk about your design, how you think about the process. I think it's very important to go through that exercise, but inevitably there's a sense of ego develop over time. I'm curious about, you talk about ego versus empathy. What's your definition of ego and what's your definition of empathy? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so when I talk about ego, I don't mean like egotistical or egomaniacal, right? You know, on, on, on that scale. But when we start a conversation from a point of ego, what I mean is basically we're talking about what we think matters and not to throw architects or anybody else in professional services under the bus is completely understandable when anybody that's an expert in their field, anybody that's a professional, right? This is the very definition, right? We, we are the experts. We are the, the professionals. So of course, you know, what's best right on paper. Of course you understand codes or you understand, you know, whatever it is. But when we start from a point Start the conversation, literal conversation, messaging on your website, proposal, whatever form that comes in. When we start the conversation from a point of ego, what we think matters, what we know to be true, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Neuroscience tells us that that that's the fastest way to turn the other person's brain off. They go, oh, wait a minute. 
I didn't come here for a lecture, right? I didn't come here to hear you talk about all of your experience and how good you are and how many years you've been in business, et cetera. So we start from a point of ego, we're going to shut the other person's brain down. So think about that. And, and again, back to the yellow tuxedo scenario, you walk in and start talking about everything from a point of ego. You've got a selection committee. You've lost them. You've lost them in the first three minutes. If you flip that around and you start from a point of empathy, meaning what matters most to them, what they feel, what they're struggling with, all of those things. If you start from a point of empathy, neuroscience tells us that that opens up their brain. That limbic part of their brain goes, oh, I want to know more. These people really understand me. These people really know what I'm struggling with, et cetera. I, I said it a minute ago, anybody that hires a professional services firm, despite what they say, no matter what they say, what they're really looking for first and foremost is the professional that feels like the right fit. A lot of times I'll get the call when someone just lost a project that they just knew was going to be theirs, right? You know, back to that, that client that you've been do, working with for 15 years. I had this conversation now in, in COVID time, it was probably a little over a year ago now, but a firm said, we want to bring you in for this pursuit when we make the short list. We know we're going to make the short list. And I went, hey, wait a minute. How do you know you're going to make the short list? Well, we've been doing this work with this client for 15 years, basically, is how it went. And I went, hey, time out a second. You've been doing this work with this client for 15 years. Why is there an RFP? Like, well, they, they wanted to bring in, you know, this, that, and the other. And say, that client just told you that they don't want you, right? That client that you've been doing that work with for them, with them for 15 years, just told you that they don't want you on this project, or at least not without some other support, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The, the reality of these types of projects. And so what happens a lot is I get that call when someone lost that project that they just, they just knew they were going to make the shortlist. They just knew they were going to get it. And the first thing that I want to do is find out if we can get a debrief with the decision makers, with the, the people that made the decision, the, the, the selection committee, and just ask them, not why didn't you pick my client? You know, the, what drove you to select the firm that you selected? What were the factors? What was behind this decision? No, no fault, no blame. We just need to understand as we go forward, right? And almost always, the first thing out of their mouth is, or mouths, collective mouths, if we can get as many people in the room as we can, this other firm just felt like the right fit. And that is exactly the moment where my new client's head starts to explode, right? We've been working with this client on these projects for 15 years. We've done more of these types of projects than anybody else in the state. We're experts in the subject matter, all, all of those things, all of those ego things. and. The selection committee just told you that they were looking for empathy things, and that's where you lost. That's the real importance. That's the real impact of this idea of, of ego versus empathy, especially in that type of scenario. You've got everything to lose. And walking in, making these assumptions, walking in, 
starting the conversation from this point is the best and fastest way to lose. Wow, that's profound. Now, you talked about what empathy feels like and what ego approach feels like. If you might share with us, just like what you did for your exercise, companies, other brands outside of AE community that's running like an ego-centric company versus <laughs> an empathy-centric company from their brand perspective. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of examples out there. Without naming any names, I mean, you could start with some software companies that are, are prevalent in, in the AEC industry. There, there was an open letter delivered to one of those software companies a few months ago that said, hey, listen, you keep, essentially it said, you keep jamming this stuff down our throat. You keep increasing the price. You don't add in any more features. You don't listen to our feedback on what we want this software to do. And, you know, you're roping us into these subscriptions, you know, which is, that's the future of all of these models, right? So uh, you're very familiar with that. I think that's a really easy example, right? We've cornered the market. We have this. We know that we have the most powerful tools out there. In some sense, there's some truth to that, right? You look at some of these products and you go, yeah, I mean, there are a few of them out there that have more features, more benefits, all of those things that they like to sell on than anybody else. And yet you go into, you know, pick your favorite AEC centric Facebook group or a clubhouse room or whatever, and everybody's railing on them, how much they hate them, how much, you know, they just, they want to, they want to find an alternative, whatever. And a lot of people mention cost in that conversation, but the fact of the matter is, if that software, as good as it is, if it was actually delivering what their customers wanted, there wouldn't be any conversation about the cost, right? If everybody's got, oh my gosh, these, it's like this software company understands my every single move. And by the way, they do. That's the, that's the, hard, that's the part that's hard to get your head wrapped around. They do understand your every move. They're just not delivering on it right? They are not developing the empathy to go, you know what, if we made this operate like this, instead of like that, we'd have a whole lot more happier customers. If we did this, you know, the way that they've been asking us to do this, or if we did this in a way that solved that better, faster, more efficient, whatever, they'd have a whole lot more raving fans than they do. And, and right now, as far as I can tell, they're creating a lot of enemies. They've got great products and they're on a slippery slope without mentioning any names. <laughs> I appreciate the example because oftentimes we, people are so focused just as a business they're running as this is why I need to back to the ego, what I need to be able to operate my business versus how can I serve my client to help solve their problem so we can both benefit. Yeah. And, and a lot of times we can look at it. And again, a lot of this is understandable. We're running businesses. We're trying to grow businesses. We're, we're trying to compete. It's very hard to compete. Right. And so what if we add in, we got this comment in this forum or what, wherever it came from about this thing. So why don't we, do, why don't we add this thing in? Why don't we add this thing in? And we can get caught up in that. If you're an architect or a contractor, oh, well, what would happen if we add a closet here or, you know, however that conversation goes, but we need to take this a step back and go, okay, well, 
what does that feature actually accomplish? How does that make my customer's life better? If someone's asking for another closet or whatever it is, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? You know, back to the why, right? Why do you want to do that? What is that actually accomplishing? What's the result that's going to come from that? It's got nothing to do with a closet. It really doesn't. It has to do with reducing clutter, making, you know, getting rid of the chaos, making a traffic flow better, whatever, whatever it is. So if we can, if we can get away from focusing on the features and all of those add-ons and really ask great questions, why do you want that feature? What would, what would having that feature accomplish for you? And then having that conversation, that's going to get us a lot closer to value and get us a lot closer to building a brand that people go, oh, I, I love this software company because they take everything I say and they make my life, they make my business better. Not, oh yeah, they, they reduce the number of clicks or they put this little doohickey in here and they raise the price by $200 this year. This is something I truly love and appreciate. As I step back, I'm looking at holistically how I want to create my company. What is the legacy? What's a brand? If I'm not here, how would this brand continue on? And how's it going to continue to serve? And that's what matters to me. And so love everything you said. And I, obviously, I can just sit here and talk to you all day. And what other resources you provide by thinking, helping AE communities, AEC communities to think about holistic approach to their brand, who they are, and why they exist? There are a couple of things that I have on my website right now that are really sort of easy one, two step approaches. Probably before we get into coaching or full blown consulting or something like that, but one of them I, I call uh, the brand plan, and basically it's it's a one day charrette if you want to think about it in terms of architecture, where where we get together and we walk through everything that you want to accomplish. You know what are your goals? How do we assess those things? How do we look for opportunities? I, I love I love innovation, and I think. Number one, I think the AEC world really, really needs to focus on true innovation, which is one of the things that fascinates me about what you do, because that's you're you're at that, you're slicing through with innovation right now. But so looking at what your goals are, looking for ways that we can innovate and build a brand, start to build a brand around that. So that that's that's a pretty, pretty easy first step. And then uh, the other one that I, uh, is sort of the, the two of the one-two punch or second step is uh, what I call the brand builder, where when it comes time, right, we've got the plan, figure out where we're going. Now we need to really start developing the messaging. Maybe there's a website involved and, and those types of the things that we would maybe more traditionally think of as, in terms of, of uh, branding per se. That's where the brand builder piece of it comes in. So th those are out there and, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of challenges. And so I ran a challenge a few weeks ago. Now, as we record this, I'll run an, another one here in another couple of weeks as we record this and then beyond pretty simple challenges to get your mindset into maybe you have a new idea or maybe it's something that you're struggling with. This is also a kind of a sweet spot is, you know, an architect or anybody in the AEC world that goes, you know what, we're, we're struggling. A lot of people are really busy right now. 
just an interesting time, interesting economic cycle in, in this wacky roller coaster that we're on right now. But but there are a lot of people that are really busy surviving right now. A lot of people are frustrated. If if you have employees, a lot of people are worried. How do I keep with what were our, our unemployment numbers a year ago, right? If we look at that right now, unbelievable numbers, still a lot of unemployment. So there's still a lot of people that are worried about keeping their people employed. And frankly, there's a lot of people that are competing for scraps that they don't even want anyway. And so I'm going to run a challenge here in a few weeks. It's really going to help you focus on developing the mindset, understanding what you really do want and understanding those people that you really do want to work with and for and developing the messaging, the branding so that you're attracting what you do want instead of competing for those scraps that you don't want anyway. So, so you can connect with me on, on LinkedIn or my website, echoengage.com. I'm on all the socials as Jeff underscore Eccles is pretty easy to find me, I think. But if you're interested in things like that, look for the next challenge and, uh, and we'll spend uh, five days going through stuff like that together. This is awesome because I often think about the, just the architects, engineers, and contractor. We have, maybe our training, we just feel like we'll figure it out. We're the smart, smart people syndrome, right? And reality is we need help just like any athlete, even top performing athletes. They have coach on the side, watching every move, fine tune every movements to get the optimized results. And I think about what you do is exactly that. Even present challenges. You know, I used to work at Beachbody. Challenge is huge because when you start thinking about these incremental sprints, just getting to the results. Once you see the result, you move on to the next challenge and continue each completely continue to level up. That's exciting. And this is where you can see a very massive improvement over a short period of time. And really appreciate what you're doing for the industry because we desperate need it of looking at how everyone just so focused on just going through the hamster wheel and doing same thing over and over again. Yet there are ways to just have minor tweaks to get to the much better results. That to me is exciting. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and it, you said something right there that many, especially architects, right? You know, design thinking was, is at your core. It's at, it was the basis of your education and there are a lot of a lot of architects and others trying to design new ways, new systems for their businesses. And I can't blame them too much because that's what you were taught in school, right? That's that is probably at the core of what drives you. But the problem is, and you didn't get the business training like we talked about before. And so your first instinct. When you have some business problem, you have you need a new system for this or whatever, your first instinct is to, to design a system for that, right? Which is exactly the wrong thing to do. So you could you could spend your time designing and quote unquote innovating a new business system, or you could walk across the quad to the college of business, walk into the the lobby or the lounge or whatever and say, okay, which one of you business majors has a system for this problem that I have? They hand you a textbook. You go, okay, let's go implement this and then spend your time innovating on something that's truly 
innovating, truly innovating your practice instead of some system that you have no business trying to redesign, right? Trying to reinvent the the wheel for your invoicing or, <laughs> you know, your proposals or, or whatever it is. So, so I, I think, I think that's a really important realization is that, you know, there are some things that we should apply design thinking to. There are some areas where we should be innovating, but a new accounting system is probably not one of them or whatever, whatever it is that you're, you're struggling with at the moment. So, so yeah, I mean, look for people that can, can help you level up and pay attention to the things you need to pay attention to and free you up to truly innovate, truly do the things that you're put on this earth to do. That's brilliant. Oh my goodness. I feel like just drinking off fire hose. So much great insights. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff, for taking your time and help us to level up and gain all this incredible knowledge. And really, I encourage everyone who's listening, reach out to Jeff. He really has so much to offer and you will see visible results of how you grow your business better. I really enjoy listening to you and really appreciate all of you here with us today. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Revivify Podcast. We will see you next time. Thanks, Grace. Thanks, everybody. Brought to you by Bayrap.